Heavenly Father, I want to come to you tonight, and I want to thank you for another day that you have given to us. I want to thank you for another opportunity that you have given us, Lord, that we can come and we can study your word, that we can draw closer to you, that we can have understanding of what your word says, Lord, and what your will for, is for our lives. Lord, I want to thank you for everything that you've done for us, everything that you've given to us, blessed us with, and bestowed upon us. And Lord, I pray that you would be with the Bible study tonight. Lord, I'm so thankful for everyone who came tonight, Lord, each and every, each and every individual. And Lord, I pray that you would help us. Lord, that we seek to do your will, Lord, that all things that we've placed in front of you, may they be taken down and moved out of the way. Lord, guide each and every one of our lives tonight. Lord, that we will seek to know what we need to do for you. Lord, let us seek to have the gifts in our lives, Lord. Let us seek to know what our calling in within the ministry and the body of Christ is. Lord, I pray that you would just continue to guide and direct and lead our lives. Watch over us in this evening, Lord. Let whatever spirits are trying to come against you, let they be taken down and moved out of the way. Lord, I pray that we would take on the full armor of God because that is our defense against the enemy. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, I pray, Lord. Place your shield of protection around us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Okay. So, a second here. All right. So tonight's study is going to be on the book of Esther and how she found favor with the Lord. But one thing, I'd like to hit on a couple of scriptures before we go to the book of Esther. And I think they're important for us to look at to kind of have an understanding and a background on, um, you know, what her roles were when she was Queen Esther and really what our, what a woman's uh, role in the Bible was and how it still can apply to our lives today. And, um, so, before we get started in the book of Esther, I'd like for us to first go to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. That's where we're going to start. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. And God said, Let us make man in our image, and after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God said, So God created man, excuse me, so God created man in, in his image, in the image of God created he him, male and female, created he them. The reason why I wanted to start with these two verses here is some people will read these two verses here and say, okay, see, God created man and woman on the same day. But if we read further on, we're going to find out that man was actually created first. This is just giving a narration to say that he did create man and woman, that no other person created or no other created man and woman, God created man and woman. So this is just saying that he created man and woman. And from here, I want us to go to Genesis chapter 2, verses 20 through 25. 
Genesis chapter 2, verses 20 and 25. Okay. Verse 20. And Adam gave names to, er, to all the cattle, to all the fowl of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was no, there was no not found and help made for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of the ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken from man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. So as we can see here, the woman was actually taken from man to be a helpmate for him. Now, some people might think, oh, well, that's degrading. You know, the man and the woman, uh, she should be able to do everything that he can do. Well, I'm sorry, I'm not strong and bulky, and there's a lot of things that I can't do that a man can do. And there's also things that we can do, like we can bear children, and a man cannot. So God gave us man and woman specific roles, and there's there's no shame in that. And, um, you know, there's nothing wrong with knowing what our roles are. And there's nothing wrong with seeing the strength in being the helpmeet to the man and being a virtuous woman which is something that we're going to actually see here uh, next when we get to Proverbs um, also one point I did also want to quickly point out in verse 24 where it said therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother now we know that that um, Adam and Eve especially, uh, especially Adam was taken or was created by God so they didn't have they had a father Jesus Christ but they didn't have a mother you know, I don't. Some people will probably try and take that out of context and say, "Well, see, there must be, uh, you know, a God the Mother because it says right here that there was a mother." This was future prophecy on what was to happen after they had children. It wasn't saying that there was a mother because some people will try and misinterpret that. So, okay. So from here, I want us to go now to Proverbs chapter thirty-one. Do you think they were on purpose, or some people just have the misconception? I think some people just have the misconception. After their own, like, if they're trying to prove a point, saying, oh, well, there was a, uh, you know, see, here it says mother, but nowhere in Scripture does there ever say that there's, you know, a, a mother God. It's just God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Proverbs, Proverbs 31. Yeah, Proverbs. You know, I, I think it could also be that the further you go back with it, it depends on how far back you go. Like the person teaching that to you would probably say, you know, they would misunderstand. Mm -hmm. But let's just say there's a Jezebel spirit or something there. They would probably try and promote that as, right. a, well, see, you know, there was a mother in heaven. And, you know, so it just depends. Yeah. Exactly. But go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. Proverbs 31, 31, excuse me. Proverbs 31, let's start at verse 10. Okay, Proverbs 31, verse 10, and this is talking about the virtuous woman. Who can find a virtuous woman? For her price is far above rubies. So, a virtuous woman is someone who is, uh, she's, not emo she's not bound in feelings and emotions. She's strong in the Lord. 
She doesn't let anything get at her. Uh, she's not, you know, looking for any kind of pleasures in this life. She's basically what you would call a daughter, you know, a spiritual daughter of Jesus Christ. So she's someone who's just willing to do his will. Okay, verse 11. The heart of her husband does safely trust her, so that he shall have no need of spoil. Now, verse 11 was something I was really thinking about because how often in many relationships today does both husband and wife completely trust one another? I mean, it's just you always have some sort of like, what are they doing? You know, are they are they spending my money? Are they cheating on me? Are they, you know, talking bad about me? But here it says in verse 11, the heart of her husband doth safely trust her. That means he has no doubt whatsoever that this woman um, is a good woman, that this woman is a virtuous woman, that this woman is a godly woman. He has no doubt in his mind, in his heart whatsoever, that this is the woman that God was provided for him because he safely trusts her with everything. And that's something that if we look at, that's a very hard thing to do. Because we all have some trust issues with one another. You know, if you're in a relationship with somebody, it's very difficult to trust that person. You know, and this is where, of course, seeking the Lord comes in and seeking His will. Say, okay, is this the right person for me? Am I where I'm supposed to be in my life to even be with this person? So, but if you see this verse here where he says he safely trusts her, I mean, hey, that's like, whoa, there must be really something about this woman. This is the kind of woman I want to be. <laughs> so, you know, when I'm married, my husband safely trusts me. So when people get married, they should uh, sign the marriage certificate and hand over all their passwords. Exactly. <laughs> Password, <laughs> bank account information, yep. everything, you know. You do that, Yeah. She's got my database. We have all the passwords. <laughs> I already got that picture. <laughs> and then the last half of verse 11 says, so that he has, so that he shall have no need of spoil. Um, so that means that he has no need of uh, anything um, bad or anything like that. So verse twelve, we'll continue reading. She shall do him good and not evil all the days of her life. That is very important. Um, just think about it. Take a situation where, uh, let's say you're married and you have a few kids. And you've been taking the taking care of the kids all week. And let's say your husband's been gone on a business trip or whatever. He comes home, the house is a mess, you're a mess, the kids are a mess, nothing's cooked for dinner, and he just comes home and it's just like maybe he's had a bad week wherever he's at. And all he wants to do is come home to a clean house, kids are asleep, he just wants a nice dinner and relax. He comes home and everything it looked like you know, World War Three went off in your house. What if he walks through the door and he's just irate because of how everything's going on? Not to mention he's ticked off. Maybe he missed his flight. Maybe whatever happened on the road wasn't supposed to happen like it should have. How we respond in that situation can literally turn an entire situation around by him just, let's say, he, and I'm not saying be a doormat. But what I am saying is, is if he, if you're humble and submissive, and you have an understanding of where he's coming from, and just like, you know what, 
I understand he's had a bad week. I'm not going to go there. That can change the situation around. And I also think that that can apply to doing good and not evil. That can also apply to other things like not being deceitful. Not saying, you know, bad things about your husband or the relationship that you're in. Knowing that he, knowing that he can trust what you're doing, that you're not going to turn around and, you know, gossip and do other things. So I think that that also applies here as well. Okay? Verse 13, let's keep reading. She seeketh wool and flax and worketh willingly with her hands. She is like a merchant ship. She bringeth her food from afar. Verse 15, she rises also while it is yet night and giveth meat to her household and a portion to her maiden. So she's giving of her household. She's making sure that her family and those that work in her family house are taken care of. She, verse 16, she considereth a field and buyeth it. With the fruit of her hands, she planteth a vineyard. She girdeth her loins with strength and strengtheneth her arms. Now that's not saying um, a woman has to be muscular or anything like that. She's just willing to work. If she, like it says, if she buys a field, she worketh it. So she's, you know, she takes uh, joy in what she's doing there, making sure that her family is fed. And uh, so that's what that verse means. Verse 18. She perceiveth that her merchandise is good. Her candle goeth not out by night. She layeth her hand to the spindle, and her hands hold the distaff. Uh, that means that she's, you know, one of those, I don't know if you guys have seen one of those old, like, sewing machines. Um, a spindle? A spindle, yeah, like, so she makes the clothes herself. Verse 20, she stretches out her hand to the poor, yea, she reaches forth her hand to the needy. So she's a very giving person. Um, if she sees somebody who needs something, she's not uh, going to just pass them by. She gives of what she has. Verse 21, she is not afraid of the snow for her household. For her household are clothed with scarlet. She maketh herself coverings of tapestry. Her clothing is silk and purple. So she knows how to get uh, very fine linen. Verse 23. Her husband is known in the gates when he sitteth among the elders of the land. She maketh fine linen and selleth it and delivereth girdles unto the merchants. Strength and honor are her clothing and she shall rejoice in time to come. She opened her mouth with wisdom, and her tongue is the law of kindness. She looketh well to the ways of her household, and eateth not the bread of idleness. So verses 26 and 27 are really important too, because it says, verse 26, she opened her mouth with wisdom, and her tongue is the law of kindness. So you don't have to worry about her going out gossiping. Uh, you don't have to worry about going out if she's with her lady friends and they're talking bad about their husbands or the relationships that they're in. She's not going to do that about her husband. She's not going to do that about her family. It's words of wisdom, which means when she speaks, you know, she's so close to the Lord that she's going to speak what the Lord says and not say, oh, let me tell you about what my man did. you got no idea. You know, that's not going to happen because it's... <laughs> it's um, it's backbiting. It causes <laughs> it causes strife, and then there's a there's just a, a, a disturbing spirit. You ever seen those ladies that do that? You know, all they do is they talk bad about whoever, 
And you never notice the kind of look and spirit that they have within them. It almost makes you really not want to be around that person because it can drag you down. It can cause you to start saying things. And then when you leave, you're like, why did I even, I didn't even come in there like that. But that spirit that they had came on you and all of a sudden you're starting to say stuff you didn't even mean because they're in their, you know, chatty Kathy about stuff. And so, but this woman, she speaks wisdom, which is a very important thing to do. That also means that she's humble and submissive before the Lord. And uh, she, all she's going to say is what the Lord has her to say. And on top of that, in 27, she looketh well to the ways of her household, and she eateth not the bread of idleness, which means she's not just sitting around, you know, not doing anything. You know, uh, and idleness, really, it can, it can cause you to... to have bad thoughts. It can cause you to uh, not want to work. It can cause you to just be in kind of like a bad spirit when you're just sitting there with nothing to do. So she will provide for her household. She will make sure that the things that she's supposed to do will be done. Verse 28. Her children arise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, he praiseth her. Many daughters have done virtuously, but thou excellest them all. Favor is deceit, and beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. That's very important. Uh, getting favors from people, or just having the outward beauty. Uh, we all know that, you I mean, you might see these beautiful women pass by. They can be very pretty on the outside, or even an attractive man. You see an attractive man walk by, but what are they like on the inside? Is it just outward beauty? Or is it inward beauty? One thing we were talking about weeks ago is that sometimes you'll see these church couples together. And there could be a beautiful woman or an attractive man. And maybe, you know, I'm not saying the other person's unattractive. But you might say, how, in the, how did those two end up together? And, you know, growing up in church, I saw that a lot. I'm like, how did these two people end up together? That's because they're connected spiritually. It's got nothing to do with the physical outward appearance. That beauty comes within because that beauty is something that the Lord's placed in us. And so it's like we can't be shallow looking at somebody saying, oh, man, whew, he looks good. <laughs> then you get with him, you're like, oh, he's not looked so good looking after all. So it's really about the inward beauty, and that's what this verse is talking about here. Verse 31. Give her of the fruit of her hands, and let her own, work, uh, and let her own works praise her in the gates. Okay. So I wanted to cover that, and then from there, let's get right into, um, we're going to go to Esther uh, chapter 1. I'm hoping that it's going to be Esther chapters 1 through 7, and I'm hoping that we can get through all of it tonight. Esther's chapter, Esther chapter 1. Now it came to pass in the days of Ahasuerus, this is Ahasuerus which reigned from India even unto Ethiopia, Ethiopia over 127, over 127, excuse me, over 107 and 20 provinces, that in those days when King Ahasuerus sat on the throne of his kingdom, which was in Shushan the palace. In the third year of his reign, he made a feast unto all the princes and his servants, the power of Persia and Media, the nobles and princes of the provinces being, being before him. 
when he shewed the riches of his glorious kingdom and the honor of his excellent majesty many days, even a hundred and fourscore days. Verse 5. And when, and when these days were expired, the king made a feast unto all the people that were present in Shushan the palace, both unto great and small, seven days, in the court of the garden of the king's palace, where were white, green, and blue hangings, fastened with cords of fine linen and purple, to silver rings and pillars of marble. The beds were of gold and silver upon a pavement of red and blue and white and black marble. And they gave them drink in vessels of gold, the vessels being diverse from one another, and royal wine in abundance, according to the state of the king. And the drinking was in according to the law. None did compel, for so the king had appointed to all the officers of his house, that they, excuse me, that they should do according to every man's pleasure. Also Vashi the queen made a feast for a for the women in the royal house which belonged to King Ahasuerus. That's a hard one. Okay, so before we go any further, I kind of want to do a little bit of background story on who this king is and uh, what this party was about. I did some research here, and um, I want to read a little bit on what I have found. But before we go, I actually want to show who this king... This is actually... The father of King Darius, which was one of the kings that the prophet Daniel was under in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 9, verse 1. Doesn't give a whole lot of background story about this king, except that he was just one of the kings that sat over these provinces. Um, But I do want to kind of explain what I researched on the parties here and what uh, what their meanings were. So just bear with me here for a second. Of a great pomp and magnificence of his court, when he found himself fixed in his throne, the pride of his heart rising with the grandeur of his kingdom, he made a most extravagant feast, wherein he put himself to to vast expense and trouble, only to show the riches of his glorious kingdom and the honor of his excellent majesty. Verse 4. This was a vain glory and and, um, affection of pomp, to no purpose at all, for none questioned the riches of his kingdom, nor offered to via to via with him for his honor. If he had shown the riches of his kingdom and, and the majesty and the honor of his majesty, as some of his successors did, in uh, contributing largely towards the building of the temple and the maintaining of the temple services, Ezra six and eight and Ezra seven twenty two it would have turned to a much better account. Okay, and these are the, uh, this next two paragraphs will explain what the two feasts were for. One for his nobles and princes, which lasted 180 days, which is roughly half a year, verses 3 and 4. Not that he feasted the same persons every day for all that time, but perhaps the nobles, but perhaps the nobles and the princes of one province one day and of another province another day. While thus he and his constant attendants fared sumptuously every day. Um, The Chaldee paraphrase, who is very bold in his additions to the story of this book, says that there had been a rebellion among his subjects and that this feast was 
was kept for the joy of um, squashing of it, of the, of the squashing of it. Okay. And um, another was made for all the people, both great and small, which lasted seven days. Um, some one day and some another. And because no house would hold them, they were entertained in the court of the garden. Verse 5. The hangings which were several um, with, oh, excuse me, the hangings with which the several apartments were divided or the tents which were um, which were their pitch for the company were very fine and rich. So were the beds or the benches on which they sat and the pavement under their feet. Verse 6. Um, better is a dinner of herb of herbs with quietness and the enjoyment of oneself and friends then this banquet of wine with all the noise and tumult tumult that must needs uh, be attended okay so that was just a kind of a quick thing on basically what the parties were about um, the one was with his nobles and the other one so this this party lasts about 187 days so it was a little bit more than half a year that this took place so I uh, just wanted to do a little bit of background on what that meant so Okay, we'll continue reading in verse 10. On the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded uh, Mehuman, Bistha, Harbona, Bigtha, and Abagtha, Zethar, and Carcass, the seven concubines, the seven, excuse me, the seven chamberlains that served in the presence of Ahasuerus the king, to bring Vashti the queen before the king with the crown royal to show the people and the princes her beauty for she was fair to look upon basically you know she was very beautiful verse 12 but the queen Vashti refused to come at the king's commandment by his chamberlains therefore was the king very wroth and anger and his anger burned in him verse 13 then the king said to the wise men which knew the times for so was the king's for so was the king's manner towards all that knew law and judgment. And the next unto him was Karshana, Shethar, Admatha, Tarshish, Maris, Mersana, and Mumukan, the seven princes of Persia and Media, which saw the king's face, and which sat at the first in the kingdom, which basically they were the next ranking structure under the king. Verse 15. What shall we do unto the queen Vashti according to law? Because she hath not performed the commandment of the king Aharas by the chamberlains. And Mimikan answered before the king and the princes, Vashti the queen hath not done wrong to the king only, but also to all the princes and to all the people that are in all the provinces of king Ahasuerus. For this deed of the queen shall come abroad unto all women, so that they shall despise their husbands in their eyes, when it shall be reported. The king Ahasuerus commanded Vashti the queen to be brought in before him, and she came not. Likewise shall the ladies of Persia and Media say this day unto all the king's princes, which we have heard of the deed of the queen. Shall, thus shall there arise too much contempt and wrath. If it please the king, let there go a royal commandment from him, and let it be written among the laws of the Persians and the Medes, 
that it not be altered, that Vashti come no more before King Ahasuerus, and let the king give her royal state unto another that is better than she. Um, so before we continue, um, Vashti the queen, it's very possible that when the queen wanted Vashti to come in, that we'll just use modern terms, it's possible that he was drunk or he was close to being that. And because it said his heart was merry with wine. So could he have been a little bit over what was, you know, intoxicated? That's possible. So when that happened, he asked the queen to come in and she refused. Now, because she refused, the king became very mad at her. And, you know, uh, but not only did that happen, but these other gentlemen that were with him, they began to get worried because they saw what she had done. And now all of a sudden, they feared that if this word got out, that their wives and whoever would do that to their husbands would do that to their princes. Now, I can't really say why Vashti decided not to come in. I've done research. There's not a whole lot of research on why she did not come in. But it's very possible that she didn't want to be made a spectacle of. Um, and I don't want to assume and speculate. But for some reason, she didn't come before the king. She didn't go before the king and say, can I speak to you about this or anything like that. But her refusal ultimately caused her to no longer be queen. And then not only that, but these guys here said, well, we can't just, you know, let her get away with it. King, can, you know, we need your help here and we're going to see what happens next in verse uh, 20. Verse 20. And when the king, um, oh, verse 19. Oh, is it verse 20? Yeah, verse 20. And when the king's uh, decree, which, shall, which he shall make, shall be published throughout all the empire, all his empire, for it is great, all the wives shall give their husbands honor, both great and small. And the saying pleased the king and the princes, and the king did according to the word of Mumakan, for he sent letters into all king's provinces, into all the king's provinces, into every province according to the writing thereof, and to every people after their language, that every man should bear rule in his own house, and that it should be published according to the language to every people. Okay, so here you go. Here's the law that was put out that, you know, wives, you know, reverence your husband. And there's nothing, obviously there's nothing wrong with that. But what Vashti did caused, you know, an uproar with, with those men saying, okay, now we're worried, even though maybe their wives weren't doing anything. But what she did and her refusal to come forward and to talk to the king. Now, maybe her coming forward and talking to the king could have changed this outcome. But... As we read later on, God had a reason for this too. So we're actually going to see um, God's plan and purpose behind this. So let's, if no one has any questions, we can go in into chapter 2. Okay. Chapter 2, verse 1. After these things, when the wrath of King Ahasuerus was appeased, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what, and what was decreed against her. Then said the king's servants that ministered unto him, Let there be fair young virgins sought for the king, and let the king appoint officers in all the provinces of his kingdom, that they may gather together all the fair young virgins unto Shushan the palace, to the house of, of the women, unto the custody of Hagi, 
the king's chamberlain, keeper of the women, and let their things for purification be given them. And let the maiden which pleaseth the king be queen instead of Vashti. And the thing pleased the king, and he did so. Verse 5. Now in Shushan the palace there was a certain Jew whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, a Benjaminite, who had been carried away from Jerusalem with the captivity, which had been carried away with Jeconiah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away. And he brought up Hadassah, which is Esther, his uncle's daughter. For she had neither father nor mother, and the maid was fair and beautiful, whom Mordecai, when, he, when her father and mother were dead, took her as his own daughter. So he's the older cousin of Esther, and he took her in and raised her. Verse 8. So it came to pass, when the king's commandment and his degree were heard, and when many maidens were gathered together unto Shushan the palace, the custody of Haggai, that Esther was brought also unto the king's house, to the custody of Haggai, keeper of the women. And the maiden pleased him, and she obtained kindness of him. And he speedily gave her her things for purification, with such things as belonged to her, and seven maidens which were meet, which were meet to be given her, out of the king's house. And he preferred her and her maids unto the best place of the house of all the women. So she's already finding favor with the king, and she just got there. So let's keep reading. Verse 10. Esther had not showed her people nor her kindred, for Mordecai had charged her that she should not show it. So verse 10 here is saying that when Esther was taken in unto the king, Mordecai told her, don't tell the king who you are. At this point, he thinks you're one of the, uh, the, the beads of the Persian ladies that were there at the time. He thinks that that's who you are. He doesn't know at this point that you are a Jew because at this point, the Jews were in captivity. So um, Mordecai was telling her at this point, you know, because Mordecai was also a man of God. He, you know, he was a righteous man. And so he did what the Lord told him to do. So he knew, he had that discernment of spirit to know. At this point, just keep it to you. If he doesn't know at this point, just keep it to yourself because there's going to be a greater reason later on as to why at this point you don't reveal who you are because it could also affect your chances of becoming queen. And Mordecai had that wisdom enough to tell her these things. And Esther had enough knowledge of Mordecai and the way he was to take his word for it. So she did as he commanded and um, she showed him reverence as her father. And because he had raised her, she gave him that respect. Okay, well, so we'll keep reading verse 11. And Mordecai walked every day before the court of the women's house to know how Esther did and what should become of her. Verse 12. Now when every maid's turn was come to go in to King uh, Ahasuerus after that she had been twelve months according to the manner of the women, for so were the days of, her, of their purification accomplished with <clears throat> six months with oil of myrrh and six months with sweet odors and with other things for their purification of the woman. So every woman had one year opportunity to, uh, to go before the king. So this is a very patient 
process, and Esther was not the first one in line. Um, so uh, we'll read later on is about exactly when she went before the king. But this is a almost like a painstaking process. You know, this is a very patient process because uh, you know one at a time they had to go through this purification process before the king. Um, okay, verse thirteen. We'll keep reading. Then thus came every maiden unto the king. Whatsoever she desired was given her to go with her out of the house of the woman unto the king's house. In the evening she went, and on the morrow she returned to the second house of the women, to the custody of Shazgeth, the king's chamberlain, which kept the concubines. She came into the king's house no more, except the king delighted in her, and she were called by name. Verse 15. Now when the turn of Esther, the daughter of Abihal, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her for his daughter, was come to go in unto the king, she required nothing but what Haggai, the king's chamberlain, the keeper of the women, appointed. And Esther obtained favor in the sight of them all that looked upon her. So Esther was taken unto king Ahasuerus into the house royal in the tenth month, which is the month Tibeth, in the seventh year of his reign. Now remember, when he had the party in the beginning, it was the third year of his reign. Now, here we are in the seventh year of his reign. So it was approximately three and a half years later before Esther got to see the king, before it was her turn to go in before him. Um, so I just wanted to make that point there that it was a, you know somewhat of a long process. She wasn't the first one in line. Um, but she had already basically obtained favor with him even before it was her turn. So it wasn't going to take her nearly as long. Verse 17. And the king loved Esther above all the women, and she obtained grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins, so that he set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Then the king made a great feast unto all the princes and his servants, even Esther's feast, and he made a release to the provinces and gave gifts according to the state of the king. And when the virgins were gathered together the second time, then Mordecai sat in the king's gate. Esther had not yet showed her kindred nor her people as Mordecai had charged her, for Esther did the commandments of Mordecai like as when she was brought up with him. So he's still telling her at this time, you just became queen, it's not time yet. If he hasn't know, if he doesn't know, or if he doesn't ask, just keep it to yourself because there's going to be a greater purpose later on. So he's just letting her know. And it's not even being deceitful. Have you ever noticed at times, and this can even apply to our life, and I've fallen, found, uh, I've fallen short of this too, where it's like, you don't want to be deceitful towards people. Yes, you want to tell the truth. But sometimes you can tell the truth at the wrong time and you can get yourself into trouble. You ever, you ever ran it or saying too much at one time, and it's not being deceitful, it's having the discernment of spirit. Uh, let's say there are times when you go to witness to people, and you constantly are like at them, and you want to bring them to the Lord, because you know what this Bible says, but they refuse you. Or they're, maybe they're not comfortable with certain things. And if you say too much at one time, you can actually cause that person to back away from you, because we have to make sure that when we are sent to talk to somebody, that we are sent by the Lord. That we are say, what we are saying comes from the Lord. 
because we can uh, we can say too much to people. And I found myself that way, where it's like you just want to you know you want to preach to them and you want to bring them to the Lord. The Lord's trying to make sure that that person's heart is ready at all times to receive it. You know, so it's just he had that discernment to tell her at this point in time, just go about what you are doing. Okay, uh, and now we'll get back to it. Verse twenty-one. In those days, while Mordecai sat in the king's gate, two of the king's chamberlains, Bigthan and Teresh, of the of those which kept the door, were wroth and sought to lay hands on the king, on King Ah Ahasuerus. And the thing was known to Mordecai, who told it unto Esther the queen. And Esther certified uh, certified the king whereof in Mordecai's name. And when inquisition was made of the matter, it was found out. Therefore, they both were hanged on a tree, and it is written in the book of the Chronicles before the king. So, obviously, it's, it's starting to become more clear and clear that the king had found favor in Esther. Because Mordecai told Esther, hey, these two guys are planning to kill the king. Now, the king didn't just come, you know, he didn't say to Esther... These are my two trusted Chamberlain. I cannot believe that you would take the word of this Mordecai, whoever. You know, these. I know these guys. You know, they, they've been with me for, for so much and so on and so forth. No, when Esther told the king because he had found favor in Esther, he did an inquisition about this. Of course, the truth was found out, but this is how you're starting to see this whole thing start to play out, how she found favor with the king. Now... She didn't obviously do it on her own terms. The Lord is guiding her at this point. She found favor with the king because she found favor with the Lord first. Why? Because she did as Mordecai, her father at that time, commanded her to do. And Mordecai has favor with the Lord. So this is why she's finding favor with the king. Okay, if, any questions? If not, we'll go to chapter 3. Everybody good? <laughs> All right. Chapter 3, verse 1. After these things did King Ahasuerus promote Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite. Huh? Agagite. Agagite, thank you. And advanced him and set his seat above all the princes that were with him. And all the king's servants that were in the king's gate bowed and reverenced Haman. For the kings had so commanded concerning him, but Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence. Then the king's servants, which were in the king's gate, said unto Mordecai, Why transgressest thou the king's commandment? Now it came to pass, when they spake daily unto him, and he hearkened not unto them, that they told Haman to see whether Mordecai's matter would stand, for he had told them that he was a Jew. And when Haman saw that Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence, then Haman was full of wrath. Now, the king had just advanced Haman, and he'd given him a, a very nice advancement. Now, although the king's commandment was that everyone was to bow before Haman, Mordecai knew better. Mordecai knew that the only one that he was ever going to give reverence to was the Lord. And he refused to bow before Haman. Now, if a man had been, you know, not an, I wouldn't say an insecure person, but if he had just taken what the king had given him and not worried about Mordecai, and this is where you can see insecurities in people because he took the fact that 
this one person refused to bow before him. And he couldn't let it go. It actually made him really mad. It made him very, very upset. But it, also, the guys that were with Mordecai, talking to him, they did an injustice on Mordecai because they went to Haman. So they could have just easily let it go. But no, oh no, no, no. They had to go to Haman and they had to tell him what this guy was doing because he was a Jew. And obviously, you know, the Jews are in captivity at this time, but they just could not let it go. And we find that in our lives too, where uh, you might be living amongst people or you might be uh, around people who believe differently or who act differently. You know what you believe, and but you're not going to follow what they believe. And instead of them just letting it go, saying, you know what, they believe in this God of the Bible, I might not, but, you know, I'm just, I'm going to let them do what they want to do. They're not bothering me. They're not sitting here beating me over the head with their Bible or anything like that. So I should just let it go. But no, what happens? The enemy comes in to kill, steal, and destroy. So you're just trying to, let's say you're at lunch one day in an in a, in a atmosphere at work, and you're just sitting there and you pray at lunch, over your lunch, and it's not even like, you're not even getting up doing hallelujahs or acting crazy or anything like that. You just pray peacefully. And what happens? Somebody at work who doesn't like what you are doing, who has it out for you, who believes in something different, they have a different spirit in them, decides to pick at you. Decides to come after you because you're asking the blessing over your food. Because the Bible says you should do that. And you want to make sure that you're right with the Lord, right? So what do they do? They come up. I don't believe you would do that here. Blah, da, 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 and they just go off, right? Well, that's what Haman, or that's what uh, Mordecai, this is what's happening to him, but worse. Because Haman is going to do something because of Haman's insecurity and the fact that this one man would not bow before him. He was going to do something even greater than just going to the king and talking to the king about Mordecai. Verse 6, we'll keep reading. And he thought scorn to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they had showed him the people of Mordecai, wherein Haman sought to destroy all the Jews that were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus, even the people of Mordecai. In the first month, that is, month, the month Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Ahasuerus, they cast her, that is, the lot, before Haman from day to day, and from month to month to the twelfth month, that is, the month Adar. And Haman said unto the king, said unto king Ahasuerus, There is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of thy kingdom, and their laws are diverse from all the people. Neither keep they the king's laws. Therefore it is not for the king's profit to suffer them. So not, see, a man didn't just go before the king and say, let me talk to you about this Mordecai fellow. And uh, if he had done that in the beginning, the king could have straightened it out how Mordecai saved the king's life. But no, what did a man have to do? He had to go in and start spreading stuff about the Jews that were in the land. He had to start saying, you know what? They're different from us. You know what? They don't do the same things that we do. They don't keep the same laws that we do. And they don't. And he's saying, you know what? They don't even keep your law. Now, the king, I mean, unfortunately, the king's going to listen to Haman 
But Haman, what is he doing? He's stirring up strife. He's stirring up trouble where it doesn't need to be. You know, this could be totally, you know, uh, yes, they were following the Mosaic law, but they weren't causing any problems. They weren't doing anything wrong. And it wasn't until now that there was a problem. Why? Because one man decided to stand up and say, no, I'm not going to do this. I only show reverence to the Lord. And what happened? He decided to go after everybody that followed the Lord. And this can apply in our lives today as well. Again, you're trying to find the Lord, follow the Lord, and what happens? All of a sudden, someone starts nitpicking at you. Someone starts talking bad about you. You may be doing everything at right, right at work that you're supposed to do. All of a sudden, you get called into the office. Uh, what did I do? Yeah, I haven't, you know, I haven't been late for work. Uh, I've been filling out all my documentations. Uh, I've been doing everything that you asked me to do. What's the problem? The problem is that you're trying to live your life for the Lord, and the world doesn't want you to do that. So uh, let's keep reading here, uh, verse nine. If it please the king, let it be written that they may be destroyed, and I will pay ten thousand talents of silver to the hands of those that have the charge of the business to bring it to the king's treasure. So he's even willing, and this is how the devil does it, right? He's even willing to pay to have the Jews killed. So, you know, does that not happen in certain circumstances that we're living in today, that someone will get, you know, paid off? That's how the devil works when you're trying to live right. Verse 10. And the king took his ring from his hand and gave wait, wait, it. Wait. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry, because <laughs> it just came to me. So you know it's from God. So um, he pays. Well, the devil pays people to kill those who are living right to God. Mm-hmm. That just tells you how that one little thing really yeah, is a huge deal. If you live for God, how that impacts other people without us even knowing it. Oh yeah. Well, yeah, we know exactly. it was going that way because yeah. that happened. That whole mass shooting was crazy because we knew one way or another what a Muslim did was going to point back to the Christians. I don't even know how oh, to yeah. make that together. Exactly. But people hate God so much, or they hate Jesus so much that they'll say, "Oh well, uh, because of this Muslim shot these people, the Christians are to blame because they believe that." Um, you know, our laws or our rights cause this. It's a different guy. I mean, and if we fall for that, then we'll believe anything they tell us. Yeah. Because it's just all false. It's a lie. Jake, go ahead. I was going to add to that. Uh, Eric and I were talking on the way in. I guess I was reading, they're saying that the shooter was secretly gay now. Why? Yeah. No Which I don't buy. No, I, I think it was just that. scouting places hell. Well, but what sense does that make? If you're gay, why would you shoot up? Well, I, th- I think he's just like a, finding places, probably gun-free zones. I don't know. But Maybe I they're think trying honestly, to they're just trying to, demor- they're trying to beat him down. I think honestly, the gunman, you know, the uh, media... Everybody's involved with this story. And then they got the guy's father on there giving some information. All these guys are paid to do one thing, and that's to make the body of Christ look like we're crazy. Yep. That's how much Jesus is hated. That's why every time you watch a movie about um, anything concerning the Bible, it's never true. It always makes the Bible people look crazy. Hollywood always comes out with movies like with the X-Men, that whole X-Men apocalypse thing. Yeah. Now notice Apocalypse, uh, they said, wow, Apocalypse, 
that's like from uh, the four horsemen. It's like from the Bible. And then they'll put in their line, oh, well, the Bible got it from them, maybe. See, they right. want you to doubt yeah. your faith. They want you to forget about Jesus Christ so, you know, they can take this world over. But the Christian is hated in this world today, the yep. real Christian. Exactly. And, dead, sorry, I'm not trying to dominate. But. And if you look at things through a, a spiritual mind, it's, it's obvious to see what's taking place. Because we're not, this is not about hate speech. We're not hating on anybody. But you see the plots and the plans and the schemes of Satan. And it's just like if you look at things about like any kind of shooting, especially, you know, something like that, if you think where is it heading next, the Christian had to be the shooter. And that's exactly where it ended up. So it's like you have to see things through you know, walking about circumspectly. You have to see that the times that we are living in. And you have to compare them to what Scripture says, too. Read Matthew chapter 24 in your spare time. Luke, read Luke chapter 17 in your spare time. Um, you know, uh, Second Peter chapter 4 in your spare time. All these things, revelations, the entire book of revelations in your spare time. All these things that are going on now is in the Bible. And it's just, we have to see what's going on. Go ahead, Jake. I was going to say, uh, God actually just brought this to my attention. But you remember that kid that went in the church mm-hmm. and shot? Mm-hmm. And how nobody really cared about those victims mm-hmm. as much as they do about what happened in Orlando? Yeah. It's just, it's Satan's next step. All it is is he's heightening, heightening up one after another. Did anyone, anyone here also know what company the shooter works at? G4S. Wow. And G4S is pretty much, I mean, that's going to be the new world order of global force. Well, yeah, they always cover the Bilderberg. Eventually, they're going to militarize this company. Yeah. They're already doing things like that in Israel and other places. I don't want to get off the subject, Mm, but they do have their own particular groups that are set up to do some things just to help out, you know, all these lies in the media and everything else. One more interesting about G4S, you can get a gun and work in G4S and be in Europe better than a cop can. Wow. It's just seeing Satan's, it's, it's seeing oh. Satan's agenda. If you look, you know, it says, um, if you um, walk around circumspectly, yeah, redeeming the times because the days are evil. What does that mean? Knowing what's going on around you and not being closed off to what's going on around you. It's not saying you have to pay attention to like everything that's going on. But if you hear something, say, that's Satan's plan. That's Satan's agenda. Not going all crazy like, oh my gosh, it's the end of the world. Not yet, but it's coming to you know a nation near us. And that's why we need to really get our lives right with the Lord. Because we tell don't tell everybody, don't believe anything you see you hear on the news. Look it out further. Yeah. Search it out for real. Because yeah. the media will lie yeah. about, that's how about works, everything. Exactly. That's how he pulls people from God. Exactly. Yeah. If he they can get your focus what's going on if Satan can get your focus off God in any way, shape or form, he's won the day. And that's why we have to stay focused on the Lord, and we have to stay focused on His Word and what He says. Amen. All right, keep. Let's keep reading verse ten. And the king took his ring from his hand and gave it to Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the Jews' enemy, 
<clears throat> and the king said unto Haman, The silver is given to thee, the people also, to do with them as it seemeth good to thee. <clears throat> Excuse me. Then were the king's scribes called on the thirteenth day of the month, of the first month. And there was, uh, and there was written according to all that Haman the co had commanded unto the king's lieutenants and to the governors that were over every province, to all the rulers of every people, to every province according to the writing thereof, and to every people after their language, in the name of, of King Ahasuerus was it written and sealed with the king's ring. And the letters were sent by post into all the king's province, to destroy, to kill, and to cause perish all Jews, both young and old, little children and women, in one day, even upon the thirteenth day of the twelfth month, which is the month Adar, and to take the spoil for them a prey of them for a prey. So in this writing, it's saying, "Hey, let's let's read this again." Verse thirteen. And the letters were sent by post into all the king's provinces to destroy, to kill, and to cause perish. What does the enemy come to do? To mm -hmm. steal, to kill, and to destroy. And that's exactly what was about to happen here. And to cause perish to all Jews, both young and old, to er, to to oh, little children and women. So Haman showed no mercy. Satan shows no mercy. So we can see the spirit that was behind him for him to want to do this. We'll keep reading. In one day. So he didn't, he didn't want them to waste no time in doing this. Even upon the 13th day of the 12th month, month which is the month Adar and to take the spoil of them for a prey verse 14 the copy of the writing for a commandment to be given in every province was published unto all people that they should be ready against that day the post went out being hastened by the king's commandment and the decree was given in Shushan the palace and the king and man sat down to drink but the city, but the city Shushan was perplexed. They were perplexed because they didn't know what was going on. They didn't know why this decree came out. So, if there's no questions. We'll get into right to chapter four. Okay, chapter four, verse one. When Mordecai perceived all that was done, Mordecai rent his clothes and put on sackcloth with ashes, and went into the midst of the city and cried with a loud and bitter cry. And then, and came, and came even before the king's gate. For none might enter into the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. And in every province, whithersoever the king's commandment and his decree came, there was a great mourning of the Jews, and fasting, and weeping, and wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. Okay. So they were doing this because, one, because of the king king's commandment went out they were confused they didn't know what was going on and two because they were also seeking the lord's favor on them that they not be killed so uh that's why they were weeping and fasting as well um fasting for those who maybe don't know but fasting is a really good way to cleanse the flesh to get out any kind of whatever you're feeling as well and it's also uh, good to seek the Lord's will upon your life and have, you know, to hear from him and what he wants you to do. Verse 4, we'll keep reading. So Esther's maids and her chamberlains came and told her. Then the queen was exceedingly grieved, 
And she sent raiment to clothe Mordecai and to take away his sackcloth from him. But he received it not. So he wasn't going to take any kind of nice-looking apparel or anything until this matter was dealt with. Verse 5. Then called Esther for Hattach, one of the king's chamberlains, whom he had appointed to attend unto, upon her, and gave her and gave him a commandment to Mordecai to know what it was and why it was. So she wanted to know exactly why Mordecai was um, being this way. Verse 6, So Attach went forth to Mordecai unto the street of the city, which was before the king's gate. And Mordecai told him of that had ha told him of all that had happened unto him, and of the sum of the money that Haman had promised to pay to the king's treasures for the Jews to destroy them. He and also he gave him a copy of the writing of the decree that was given at Shushan to destroy them, to shew it unto Esther, and to declare it unto her, and to charge her that she should go in unto the king to make supplication unto him, and to make requests before him for her people. So now Mordecai is telling her, hey, this is what's going on, this is the decree, this is what a man's doing. Now you need to go before the king and tell him who you are because you have found favor with him. You need to go in and tell him who you are and you need to plead for your people. Verse 9. And Hattach came and told Esther the words of Mordecai. Again Esther spake unto Hattach and gave him commandment unto Mordecai. All the king's servants and the people of the king's province to know that whosoever, whether man or woman, shall come unto the king into the inner court who was not called there is one law of his to put him to death except such to whom the king shall hold out the golden scepter that he may live but i have not been called to come in unto the king these 30 <clears throat> these 30 days and they told to mordecai esther's words now esther had been queen for a little while here um but when Mordecai told her, hey, you need to go before the king, she started to think, I will say that she probably had some fear for her life at this point. And because she was queen, she was living in the king's house, she was living nicely, um, but she said there's this commandment, you know, that we can't, if we're not cold, we can't go before the king. We could very well lose our lives if we do so. And we can find in our lives also at times that fear will creep in. You know, maybe we're supposed to go out and witnessing to people, but all of a sudden we start thinking, oh man, if my job finds out about this, what's going to happen to me? If my friends find out about this, what's going to happen to me? Maybe I'll get arrested. Uh, maybe I'll lose my job. Maybe my family will excommunicate me. All these things. But when you're doing the will of the Lord, if fear does creep in, and I'm not going to say it doesn't happen because it does happen. Fear will creep in. The, next, the best thing to do is to recognize it, recognize it's from Satan, ask the Lord to forgive you, have him remove that fear from your life, and move forward. So, we're going to see what happens next here in verse 13. Then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than the Jews. So what's he telling her? Don't think just simply because you're living up there nice, that this is not going to happen to you. That's why he's telling her basically don't have any fear. If we have fear, if we hold back and if we have fear, let's say 
things get bad and you know someone comes up to you and uh says are you a christian and i'm well, not gonna lie maybe they got a gun pointed at your head because that is happening are you a christian what's gonna it, they may shoot you anyways but would you rather go to heaven or would you rather go to hell if you deny jesus christ what do you think is going to happen what did it say he that denies me before the father I will deny, or he that denies me before men, I will deny him before the Father. Why? Because you will let something else creep into your life besides the Holy Spirit, besides Jesus Christ. Go out. Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. You're going to find your way in heaven. You died a martyr at that point. You died standing for Jesus Christ. So he's telling her, don't think that simply because you're in the king's house and he doesn't know at this point who you are, that you're going to get away with it and you're going to escape. So that's what he's letting her know. Verse 14. For it shall altogether holdest it, excuse me, for if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their um, enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knowest whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? So he's telling her. How do you not know that the Lord hasn't placed you in this position to help us out? That's what he's trying to get her to understand. Because the Lord's timing is perfect. Verse 15. Then Esther bade them return uh, then Esther bade them return Mordecai this answer. Go, gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan, and fast ye for me. Neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise, and so will I go and so will I go into the king's into the king, which is not according to the law, and if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther had commanded him to do. So Esther said, Hey, if this is supposed to happen, we are going to fast and we are going to pray and we are going to seek the Lord before it happens. And she, you know, she got into her mind, if I perish, then I perish. But I'm going to do the Lord's will. I'm going to do the Lord's will that Mordecai has commanded me to do. Because if I stay quiet, then my people will perish. And we find that in our lives today as well as Christians. That if we stay quiet, other things could happen. Okay, so um, any questions? If not, we'll go to chapter 5. Okay. Chapter 5, verse 1. Now it came to pass on the third day that Esther put on her royal apparel and stood in the inner court of the king's house, over against the king's house. And the king sat upon his royal throne in the royal house, over against the gate of the house. And it was so, when the king saw Esther the queen standing in the court, that she obtained favor in his sight. And the king held out, Est held out Esther to Esther, <laughs> the golden scepter that was in his hand. So Esther drew near and touched the top of the scepter. Now, Esther found favor in the king's sight. Why? Because she prayed and fasted for three days and she found favor with the Lord first. Because she did as it was commanded to her, then she found favor. It wasn't anything that Esther, it wasn't about her royalty, it wasn't about her looks, it wasn't about... Uh, all she had done for the king, it was everything that she had done for the Lord first, and that's why she found favor with the king. 
I have a thought. Okay. So she's with the king, mm-hmm. but yet she's fasting. So wouldn't he be like, why aren't you eating dinner? Well, actually, if you go back, it said in... Um, he had actually, if you go back to chapter 4 in verse 11, um, but I have never been called to come into the king's house these 30 days. She had her oh. own separate house within the kingdom, and she had not seen him for those 30 days. Okay. <clears throat> so he didn't know. Right. I was exactly. just curious. Okay. No, no, better to ask. <laughs> okay. Uh, verse 4. And um, Esther answered, If it seemed good in unto the king, let the king and the and Haman come in come this day unto the banquet that I have prepared for him. Oh no, I didn't, verse thank you. Three. Sorry, verse three. Yeah. <laughs> then said the king unto Esther, What wilt thou, Queen Esther? And what is thy request? It shall be given thee to the half of the kingdom. Verse 4, and, and Esther answered, If it seem good unto the king, let the king and Haman come this day unto the banquet that I have prepared for, prepared for him. Then the king said, Cause Haman to, to, to make haste, that he may do as Esther has said. So the king and Haman came to the banquet which Esther had prepared. <clears throat> Verse 6, And the king said unto Esther at the banquet of wine, what is thy petition, and what is, and it shall be granted thee? And what is thy request, and it, and even to the half of the kingdom it shall be performed? Then answered Esther and said, My petition and my request is, if I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it please the king to grant my petition, and to perform my request, let the king and a man come to the banquet that I shall prepare for them, and I will do tomorrow as the king hath said. <clears throat> so she wants to get the king and man together so she can make a plea for her people. Um, so that's what she's um, informing the king of, verse 9. Then went Haman forth that day joyful and with a glad heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he stood not up nor moved for him, he was full of indignation against Mordecai. So even though, check this out, even though Haman had been chosen by the king and by Queen Esther, when he saw Mordecai, this one man, all the joy that was in him just it vanquished. Why? Because this one man would not give him reverence. Because why? Mordecai knew better. Mordecai knew that the only person, the only one that he was to reverence was the Lord, was Jesus Christ. But Haman could not let it go. It didn't matter. It, you could have given him anything in the world, but he had wrath. He still had that wrath towards Mordecai. Uh, verse 10. Nevertheless, Haman refrained himself, and when he came home, he sent and called for his friends and Zeresh, his wife. Now, check out how, Morde- or how Haman's getting ready to puff himself up. Verse 11. And Haman told them, of the glory of his riches and the multitude of his children and to all things wherein the king had appointed him and how he had advanced him above the princes and the servants of the king. Haman said moreover, Yea, Esther the queen did let no man come in with the king unto the banquet that she has prepared but myself and tomorrow I am invited um, unto her also with the king. 
Verse 13. Yet all this availeth nothing, so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting in the king's gate. So he just could not let it go. Verse 14. Then said Zadish his wife, and all his friends unto him, Let a gallows be made of fifty cubits high, and tomorrow speak thou unto the king, that Mordecai may be hanged thereon. Then go thou merrily um, with the king unto the banquet, and the, and the thing please command, and he calls the gallows to be made. So after all this has happened, Haman still is not, you know, he cannot let this one thing with Mordecai go. Um, so he's deciding, hey, if he's not going to show me reverence, if he's not going to do what I say, then I'm just going to get rid of him altogether. So, anyone have any questions? If not, we'll go into chapter 6. Alright. <clears throat> chapter 6, verse 1. On that night could not the king sleep, and he commanded to bring the book of the records of the chronicles, and they were read before the king. And it was found written that Mordecai had told of Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's chamberlains, the keepers of the door, who sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. <clears throat> and the king said, What honor and dignity hath been done to Mordecai for this? Then said the king's servants that ministered unto him, There is nothing done for him. And the king said, Who is in the court? Now Haman was come into the outward court of the king's house to speak unto the king, to hang Mordecai on the gallows that he had prepared for him. So as you can see here, the you know, Haman's you know getting ready to talk to the king about hanging Mordecai. This is something that we can also apply in our lives today where the enemy is you know, the enemy always has a plan to take those out that are followers of Jesus Christ. And he's always looking to do something in secret, to do something in deceit. And this is what Haman was doing. So we'll keep reading here. Verse 5, And the king's servant said unto him, Behold, Haman standeth in the court. And the king said, Let him come in. So Haman came in, and the king said unto him, What shall be done unto the man whom the king delighteth to honor? Now Haman thought in his heart, To whom would the king delight to be to do honor more, <laughs> more than to myself? So look how puffed up in pride a man is. He's thinking that he is all that. Like, oh man, the king must really like me. He called me in, and, and all of a sudden he's saying about, you know, whom the king delighteth, he's got to be talking about me. Verse 7. And a man answered the king, For the man whom the king delighteth to honor, let the royal apparel be brought in, be brought which the king uses to wear, and the horse that the king rideth upon and the crown royal which is set upon his head. And let this apparel and horse be delivered to the hand of the of uh, to the hand of one of the king's most noble princes, that they may array the man uh, with all whom the king delighteth to honor, and bring them on horseback to the street of the city, and proclaim to them, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delighteth to honor. Then the king said to Haman, Make haste, and take the apparel and the horse, as thou hast said, and do even so to Mordecai the Jew, that sitteth at the king's gate. Let nothing fail of, of all that thou hast spoken. 
So Haman thought that this was getting ready to happen to him. But the king said, Haman, I want you to do this for Mordecai. So it turned in Mordecai's favor because he did as the Lord commanded him to do. Now what happened? His enemy is having to work for him. The one that sought to kill the Jews is now having to put all this nice apparel, the king's, you know, crown royal upon his head, and he's having to take him through the city saying, hey, this is the man that the king delighteth in, and he's having to do it. Why? Because the man got puffed up in pride. He sought to kill Mordecai. Mordecai was just doing what the Lord told him to do. He was just praying and fasting for his people. Okay? Verse 11. Then took a man the peril and the horse, and arrayed Mordecai, and brought him on horseback <coughs> through the, the street of the city, and proclaimed before the him, Thus shall it be done unto the man whom um, the king delighteth to honor. And Mordecai came again to the king's gate, but Haman hasted to his house, mourning, and having his head covered. And Haman told Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends, everything that had befallen him. Then said his wise men and Zeresh, his wife, unto him, If Mordecai be of the seed of the Jews, before whom thou hast begun to fall, thou shalt not prevail against him, but shalt surely fall before him. So even they knew. They were trying to tell Haman, you need to back off. If you go forward and he's a Jew, he's a child of God, you're not going to destroy him. He will end up destroying you. Verse 14. And while they were yet talking with him, came the, the king's chamberlains and hasted to bring Haman unto the banquet that, Hester, that Esther had prepared. So he didn't even get a chance to stop because a plan was already in motion. A man had hatred in his heart towards Mordecai, towards the people of God. So he had already set that plan in motion. And he wasn't forgiving of it either. He had bitterness in his heart. Um, but before he could do anything, they came and grabbed him and took him to the feast. Alright, any questions? If not, we'll go to chapter 7. Okay, chapter 7, verse 1. So the king and Haman came to the banquet which Esther the queen, uh, with Esther the queen. And the king said, unto, said again unto Esther on the second day at the banquet of wine, What is thy petition, Queen Esther? And it shall be granted thee. And what is thy request? And it shall be performed even to the half of the kingdom. Then Esther the queen answered and said, If I have found favor in thy sight, O king, and if it please the king, let my life be given me at my petition, and my people up for my request. For we are sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be slain, to perish. But if we had been sold for bondwomen, bondmen and bondwomen, I had held my tongue, <clears throat> although the enemy could not contravail the king's damage. So Esther's coming forward with who she is and who her people are. To make a plea before the king. Then King Ahasuerus answered and said unto Esther, the queen, Who is he, and where is he, that durst presume in his heart to do so? And Esther said, The adversary and enemy is the wicked man. Then a man was afraid before the king and the queen. I could only imagine how that conversation went. <laughs> Verse 7. 
And the king, arising from the banquet of wine in his wrath, went into the place, into the palace garden. And Haman stood up to make request for his life to Esther the queen, for he saw that there was evil determined against him by the king. So now Haman's afraid, and he's making, he's trying to talk to Esther, trying to talk her out of this, and saying, you know, pleading before her. Verse eight. <clears throat> then the king returned out of the palace garden into the place of the banquet of wine and her man was fallen upon the bed whereon Esther was then said the king will will he force the queen before also before me in this house as the word went out of the king's mouth they covered her man's face so pretty much when the king came back in a man had was so had so much wrath and, and fear inside of him he was on top of Esther pleading her like you know do something here but when the king came back in, he saw this is what was taking place, and it made matters even worse for her man. Verse 9. And Harbana, one of the king's chamberlains, said before the king, Behold also, the gallows of fifty cubits high, which a man had made for Mordecai, who had spoken good for the king, standeth in the house of, standeth, standeth in the house of Haman. Then said, then the king said, Hang him thereon, talking about Haman. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then was the king's wrath pacified. So it turned in Mordecai's favor, it turned in Esther's favor, and it turned in the Jews' favor. Why? All because they did what the Lord commanded them to do. All because Esther did what Mordecai commanded her to do, because Mordecai found favor with the Lord, Esther found favor with the Lord because she decided to not fear what the, what was going to happen because the Lord had already set things in motion. But what did she do? She prayed and fasted first before she went in. So Esther, that is how she found favor with the Lord because she did as he commanded her to do first. She didn't go in under her own presumptions. She didn't go in saying, well, I'm the queen. Nothing's going to happen to me. No. She sought the Lord first, and she, she gave reverence to Mordecai, her father, as well. Um, so that's pretty much the lesson. It went I have one thing to add. Go ahead. So I like the part that says the king's wrath was pacified, because mm -hmm. that shows that the king wasn't just a murderer. Yeah. He didn't just kill people for fun. Exactly. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, and also, I mean, because she had, you're right, and because she had found favor in that you know that's why he said who had done this you know and also um when you see here when he came against his you know her people and everything that he was like oh no no no, this is not going to happen so yeah exactly so all right well that just showed it was all god all along exactly <laughs> exactly all god's purpose yep but we have to live right with him to seek his purpose so Stay true. patient through that process because this was actually a long process. Story. Exactly, it is a very yeah, painstaking process. Patience, yeah, that's true. I'm just surprised that Haman didn't understand that Mordecai was the father of Esther. Well, he was her adopted father, right? But at least he could have figured out, okay, he's a Jew, mm. what is she? <laughs> It's like, hello? Yeah. Well, and that <laughs> might have been... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But and he's so full of himself, he just kind of ignored everything. Exactly. He had yeah. so much pride in his heart because of what, you know, <laughs> what the king had given him <laughs> that he just, ah, I'm just going to get rid of him. 
and all those people, but it didn't happen. <laughs> it turned in everyone's favor. He didn't get rid of one person. Exactly. The only one he got rid of was a man. The one that was trying to do evil. So, And this is why we have to live right for the Lord, because our, when our adversaries come against us, if we find favor with the Lord, it's going to turn in our favor, and it's going to go against them. And we've seen that too many times in our life, not to know that that's you know, not happening. And God had to humble some really, I mean, powerful, so-called powerful people. You know, Nebuchadnezzar, Pharaoh, all of them. Where is this God? Who is this God of yours? And, you know, this society is going to be no exception. The Lord is going to have to humble it as well. Right. You know, but they're always asking, where is this God of yours? And they mock him and they say all types of things about him. But the Lord's going to prove himself again. Exactly. It's a stupid thing to fall in the hands of the living God. Exactly. Yeah, you don't want to be on the wrong side of things. <laughs> so yeah, once he raises up, he raises up for real. Mightily. No one can stop him. Exactly. All right. That's a great lesson, though. Thank you. Praise yeah. the Lord. Um, no one has anything, or if no one has a song or anything that they want to read, um, we can close out. Oh, oh, go ahead. Well, I just read it last night. Um, Psalm 92? Yeah, because oh. I was like, we you focus all it? the time on Psalm 91. You want to read Psalm 92? Sure. Okay. So then I read Psalm 92. That's good. <laughs> yeah, go it ahead is, if you want to read it. It yeah. is a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord, and to sing praises unto thy name, O Most High, to show forth thy loving kindness in the morning, and thy faithfulness every night. See, that's where I even stopped, just on that one. Because mm -hmm. it's like the loving kindness in the morning. That means wake up feeling good and loving and nice, thank not you, like barking you. at somebody. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. Why do you have your shoes on the floor? Whatever, you know? It's like, <laughs> right. you wake yeah. up on the right side of the bed. Yeah, exactly. You do that, I promise. No, I don't but, <laughs> but I was just sitting there focusing on those words going, wow. And then faithfulness every night. Well, when do people sin? At night. Mm -hmm. <laughs> So you got to be faithful at night. So I was like, ooh, this is good. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> upon an instrument of ten strings and upon the, I don't know what that word is. Psaltery. Yeah. Oh. Upon the harp with a solemn sound. For the Lord hast made me glad through thy work. I will triumph in the works of thy hands. O Lord, how great are thy works. And thy thoughts are very deep. The deep thoughts. Mm -hmm. A brutish man knoweth not, neither doth a fool understand this. When the wicked spring as the grass, and when all the workers of iniquity do flourish, it is that they shall be destroyed forever. That's kind of mm -hmm. what we just read. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but thou, Lord, art most high forevermore. For lo, thy enemies, O Lord, for lo, thy enemies shall perish, all the workers of inequity shall be scattered. But my horn shalt thou exalt like the horn of a unicorn, I shall be anointed with fresh oil. Now I wasn't sure about the unicorn and what that really means with the horn and the unicorn, what the unicorn does. Uh, but my horn shalt thou exalt like the horn of a unicorn. I believe that at one point the unicorn was a real creature, you know, when people try and tell you they don't exist, the Bible is here mentioning them, so it's saying, you know, a unicorn's horn is high on the head, that's pretty much what it's saying, mm -hmm. but he will exalt, you know, his, uh, what does it say, thou shall exalt, 
Uh, let's see. But my horn shall thou exalt, like the horn, like the horn of a yeah. unicorn. Like in other words, you know, remember the horns were in um, the book of Revelation and otherwise like, you know, kings or crowns mm. or some type of authority. So that's pretty much what he's saying. You okay. know, my horn, my authority, my establishment, my government, you know, seven heads, ten horns. Every time you hear the word horn, even when it referred to um, uh, uh, Daniel 8, when he talked about how one horn was higher on the head and then right. the other horn, mm -hmm. Well, they represented, you know, countries or kingdoms. So he could be talking about Israel here. He could be talking uh -huh. about the established um, body of Christ when he comes back. So that's what I think it means by horns. Anytime you hear horn in the Bible, it stands for authority, you know, empire, government, mm -hmm. kings, you know, that sort of thing. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Or Satan. Yeah. Because he has horns, right? Well, yeah, but it's, I mean, or do you but his are curved, so they don't go straight. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's true. He doesn't have horns. If he keeps curving, he goes to his head and he dies. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 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 he just got the horns because he's a hard-headed goat. That's right. So So yeah, go ahead, Laura. Sorry. That's okay. My eye also shall see my desire on my enemies. And my ears shall hear my desire of the wicked that rise up against me. The righteous shall flourish like the palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those that he planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bring forth fruit in old age. They shall be fat and flourishing. To show that the Lord is upright, he is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Amen. That actually goes perfectly with what yes. we just read. Yeah. It does. Yeah. Which kind of gives me goosebumps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. yeah. All right. Yeah, that was awesome. Good study. All right, so if no one has anything, uh, we'll pray out. There's always reverse. That's true. Move it, Titsy. You can take that out. Just teasing. Heavenly Father, we come before you again with bowed heads and humbled hearts and contrite spirits. Thanking you again, Lord, for another day not promised to us. Lord, I ask that you forgive us of our sins and iniquities and transgressions and shortcomings. Lord, we're so grateful for this time that we have right now that I get to fellowship with my brothers and sisters in Christ. Let this be one of many occasions, Lord, that we come together to study and understand your word. Lord, I'm asking that you continue to work with Sarah and everything that you plan to do for her as far as teaching. Lord, anoint her in all ways that you see fit. I'm asking, Lord, that your spirit goes out through this room, giving everyone revelation and understanding as to what your word says. More importantly, Lord, the purpose that you have for our lives. For you don't make junk, Lord. You make things that are meant to prosper. We are meant to be instruments of you. Our bodies and ourselves are temples of the living God. We are a reflection, Lord, of everything that you want us to be and allow us to live up to our godly inheritance. 
I'm asking, Lord, that you bless Christina's life, everything that she might be going through, everything that she's doing. I'm asking, Lord, that you reveal to her anything that you want to, Lord, that she may draw closer to you and we may see her again. I'm asking that you bless Devin, Lord, in her life and everything that she's going through, the strongholds that may try and have her bound. I'm asking that they be broken today in the name of Jesus. For there is no principality or power, Lord, that goes above you. The work that you are doing, Lord, in the spirit, I ask that you continue to do so. I'm asking that you bless Laura, Lord, in her life. Continue to give her revelation. Keep her in good health, Lord. And I'm asking that you give her everything that she'll need to take a closer step to you, Lord, in doing your will. I'm asking that you bless Eric, Holly, and Jackson, Lord, with everything that they're going through. I'm asking, Lord, for Eric in this job, if it be your will, Lord, that you grant it to him. Lord, for he is a faithful servant, Lord, but you give to all you will. So I'm asking, Lord, that you pour out a blessing, a life of abundance. Lord, that you show them that those that follow you, that you will take care of. I'm asking that you bless Mikhail, Lord, that we may see him often. I'm asking with everything he's going through in his life, Lord, that you bless him, that you keep him strong. And that you keep him focused on your word, Lord, to do your will. Lord, I'm asking that you bless my brother Martin and all that he's going through in his life. That you keep him safe as he goes to and fro. Strengthen him, Lord, and keep him on that walk for what you desire for us. Lord, make our paths plain and clear that we may see truth in you. Let us know, Lord, that outside of you, outside of you that we have nothing. We can't rely upon this world, Lord. We can live in this world, as you say, Lord, be in this world, but not of this world. But I'm asking, Lord, that you keep us focused, Lord. My brother Jake, Lord, he's, got, he's been given the gift of evangelism, and I'm asking that you continue to make him bold. Continue to have him talk to people, not to get discouraged, Lord, for you say that the path is narrow and so is the way. Lord, you know that many people will not receive the truth, but we are so grateful for those that we have. I'm asking, Lord, that you bless other members, Lord, who aren't here tonight, Chantel, Cammy, Lord, so many, uh, my brother Dan, uh, Sue, Tracy, Karen, Lord, little Jacob, all those, Lord, that need you, that were willing to serve you. I'm asking that you strengthen them and you keep them from all hurt, harm, and danger. All things in this world, Lord, that come against your body, I'm asking that they be thrown down. I'm asking, Lord, that you do these things, not for us, Lord, but for your glory. Lord, I'm asking that you show this world just what you're made of, that you are not done with your people, that you will raise us up and strengthen us for the coming days ahead. You are the King of kings and Lord of lords, almighty God. Lord, do these things for your glory. Do it for your honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.